Hi, this is Executive Counselor Janet Stevens. You're listening to American Sunshine. Hi, I'm Jay Lucas, and welcome to American Sunshine, the podcast. Um, it's where we just love to talk about inspiring stories, uh, the power of the human spirit, and all that great revitalization going on in our towns and communities, certainly in New Hampshire and really truly across America. And I'm, I'm really delighted today uh, to be joined by a wonderful guest, a woman who's really making a difference in New Hampshire. She's become a good friend. Uh, my my uh, wonderful colleague here from the Seacoast, uh, Governor's Counselor, uh, Janet Stevens. Welcome to American Podcast, Janet. Good afternoon, Jay. Thanks for having me on as a guest. Well, I'm, I'm so excited about this conversation because you bring so much to the party here. Um, and, and to, you know, one thing I always do like to do is, you know, you are, you've just um, fairly recently been elected uh, to the Executive Council in New Hampshire, which is a, by the way, which is a political body that many people don't really know what that is, but it's a really powerful, important group. Um, and maybe let's just start there. Um, with, um, can you describe for our listeners, you know, what is the Executive Council and uh, what kind of role does it play in New Hampshire government? You know, it, it is really a unique sort of thing. It's, it's, it's special. You're absolutely correct, Jay. This is the first and last form of government in which the executive branch is co-shared. There are five of us, each representing one-fifth of the state of New Hampshire, so roughly 260,000 constituents um, depend on me. Anything that the governor would like to get through um, it has to be approved by the executive council. And when I say anything, I'm referring to contracts in excess of $10,000. You know, his cabinet, um, some of his key commissioners, judicial appointments. So those all have wow. to come through us. And, you know, I liken to say, you know, you have to hit the number three for something to get through. So we serve as the fiscal watchdogs for the state of New Hampshire. We, well, you, you know, that, that's, I was going to say, that's just so important because we really do have a great reputation here for frugality and being very, you know, Yankee in our thinking about how we spend our money. And it's really served, uh, served us well over the years. Um, and having that executive council where, and just, I want to reemphasize one thing you said, which I, I think many of our listeners will find to be just amazing, which is any contract in the state of New Hampshire greater than $10,000 has to be approved by the, by the executive council. That, that's really a lot of scrutiny going into any spending here in, in our state. You know, and to that point, you know, we have not had the scandals that we've seen in other states. You know, again, we are taking a deep dive into these contracts every other week. So typically what happens on a Friday afternoon, the state police arrive at my front door with either one box of contracts or three boxes, as I had at the end of the fiscal year, about 180 contracts that had to be reviewed. You know, we also 
approve those being appointed to civic commissions. So to your point about having a lean state government, I applaud and I actually reach out and thank those who have stepped up to serve either on a licensure board for architects or for nurses, because they are truly working boards and they allow the state of New Hampshire to be lean. Um, so we also get into notary publics, we get into um, citing docs. And, you know, right now we're also getting into approving um, ARP, dis, ARP, dis, ARP distributions. Um, yep. So we are incredibly, incredibly busy and we're also getting into the 10 year plan, which is the state's infrastructure project. So yeah, I just think it's, I think, I think it's, it's a wonderful uh, role that you play uh, as you describe the state police showing up at your doorstep <laughs> with all those contracts. Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah. Oh my God, Janet does there's, that is a lot of work. That's an incredible workload. And, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's such a great, apparatus of government, you know, many people may wonder, they said, gee, that's an interesting form. Uh, you know, why or how did that ever get started? And, and I've got to believe that, um, you know, it's been in place since post the Revolutionary War. And it uh, really is a check on the king, in a sense, it's a check on that central authority, where we didn't trust the king. And exactly. We didn't want to have another king here in New Hampshire. Exactly. So, you know, the Massachusetts Bay Colony at the time, they launched this form of government. And, you know, it, it has um, allowed for great transparency in contemporary times. Um, our meetings are open to the public. So I liken it to democracy at its greatest. Well, now it's, it's wonderful that you're serving there. But one thing I do always like to, I'm very curious about you know, the pathway that you chose to go to kind of get to the governor's council and maybe starting out, do I have it right that you were, you're originally from Massachusetts, maybe need a mass. Exactly. And um, to take us through that journey of you went to college and, and what that was like and kind of a career and, and the, a thread that takes you to the executive council, which I think is just terrific. So... It's interesting, the Executive Council, I've often likened it to um, serving on the state board um, for the state of New Hampshire. So we're basically, think about a board of directors for the state of New Hampshire. So my experience um, has been in all three sectors. So right out of college, I was working for one of the largest independent um, public relations firms in New England. From there, I went to Pierce Atwood Scribner, Allen Smith and Lancaster, and I managed a public affairs campaign for one of the state's largest industries. I came to New Hampshire, got married about 28 years ago, while also working um, in municipal government, running a small business, but also getting involved in the independent sector. So I was referred to as a triple threat when running for office. <laughs> um, and having experience in all three sectors is very important for this role. Again, a lot of our state contracts are fulfilled by nonprofit 501c3s. So again, very important to look at um, 
an organization read their 990, make certain that they're a good, strong organization. So that has been um, so helpful. Having experience in municipal government, you know, the whole bidding process, submission of an RFP. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, being a small business owner, you know, I empathize with so many of our small businesses who struggle throughout, you know, COVID, throughout the pandemic, you know, being able um, to step up for them. Even when I was running for office, out in the field, helping them in every way that I could um, with payroll protection, making certain that they, they knew, you know, you can apply for unemployment insurance if you're a sole proprietor. Answering all these questions, um, making certain that small businesses got access to Main Street funds. So one of the greatest perks after being elected, I was able to go right to work with constituent casework. And that's probably how I differentiate myself from other counselors. I do the heavy lifting at every meeting. I'm always prepared. And I I like to think I'm the most prepared, but I also um, do a significant amount of constituent casework. So the moment I was elected, um, I reached out to Homeland Security to go to bat for a first responder who was denied um, his stipend. No fault of his own, but he suffered a near fatal heart attack. It later turned out that he was electrocuted. But there was something very empowering that I now had the opportunity to really step up my work for constituents. And doesn't 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 that make you feel? I mean, it makes you feel really good because it's rewarding. You're 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 having a direct impact on somebody's life. Absolutely, that's that's important. Absolutely, and you know, even through even before I was elected, I was out there um, assisting when I could in whatever way. And, you know, once I was elected, I had senior citizens, veterans, not only in my district, but throughout the state, reaching out to me, asking for assistance and guidance when they were shut out of the portal to get their vaccines. So being able to assist our senior citizens um, with that, it was very, very um um, it's it's clear that you're having a great a positive impact. You know, what what was it like? So so I'm always curious about that decision to, to run for office and then and what the campaign was like, uh, because you, um, you had a primary campaign during the summer, largely the summer into the fall of uh, 2020. And then um, and, and then a general election campaign beyond that into November. Um, Tell us a little bit about what that's like, because it, it can be kind of daunting sometimes. You know, you wake up one day and you find you're, you're a candidate or you make a decision to get into a race. And what's what is the pace? What is the day to day life like that? And what are the thoughts that go through your head as, as you do that and, and go through the campaign process? So I narrowly lost by 80 votes a race in 2016 after um, out of four candidates, both on the Dem and Republican side, the top vote getter in the primary, and then being narrowed out by 80 votes in the general. You know, I turned to a friend, a congressional uh, candidate, who said to me, just keep doing good work. So I became involved and was nominated to the Board of Mental Health Practices, as well as the investigation of the Seacoast Cancer Cluster. So kept very involved, very busy with those two commissions. 
I reached out to then executive counselor Russell Prescott the summer before he announced. And I just introduced myself and said, you know, I wanted to check in to see what your plans are for this, you know, if you're going to run for re-election. What was supposed to be a 15-minute conversation, we spent probably close to 90 minutes talking. And wow. Russell and I have, yeah, Russell and I have become great friends. Isn't Russ a terrific guy? He I, is, I love that guy. He's so, he is super. Um, he is my go-to guy. So, um, and he is a man of his word. He said between the holidays, he would know. So one morning I woke up and uh, a client sent me you know, the announcement and said, your turn. So went right to work. And, you know, um, you know, January, we were out there. I was in the state house meeting with Governor Sununu on March 13th of 20, yes. going in to discuss my candidacy. They really wanted to meet with me. And I was a bit hesitant because we were just starting to see cases of covid you know, appear in New Hampshire. It's hesitant. And my campaign um, director said, when the governor wants to see you, you know, you're okay, you're fine, you need to honor this. Went in, we spoke again in length. Um, he gave me the nod. As I was leaving the state house that day, I, I turned to my campaign um, advisor and I said, I think we're going to go into a state of emergency. And yes, we did. And then at the same time, um, my phone started to ring off the hook. Behavioral health care providers were being denied full reimbursement by health insurance um, carriers for telehealth services. Not the time to start denying these benefits. From oh, reporting. my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, people saw me going to work and um, 70, you know, you know, over the weekend I worked and then 72 hours later, my work with the insurance commissioner went to the governor and we had executive order eight. So I was simultaneously working on behalf of constituents using my skill set in government while campaigning. And I was everywhere. Um, people will tell you that I did not take a day off. Um, until I had to the day after the election, I had to basically, oh, yeah. I didn't take the day off, but, um, I, um, I was a former elite distance runner. So I put, yes, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about, you, you know, there's something you said earlier made me say, you know, I want to bring out Janet, uh, Janet's background as an athlete, because yeah. the way, the way you were approaching the campaign, but I think uh, all, the way you approach the workload, that you're, you're, you're so prepared at all of these meetings, you read through the contracts. I, I said to myself, as you were saying that, I said, that, that's the, the competitive athlete coming out in Janet. And it's, it's displaying itself. And, and I, I'm, I sort of get the sense that it was also on display during the campaign. Yes. Um, after winning, you know, people would come up to me and say, you had the, you were the hardest working candidate and I had to. I was outmanned and I was outfunded, literally. So I had to compensate and I loved what I was doing, but I was out every single day, as well as, again, working on behalf of constituents before they even were my constituents. You know, 
it was very common for me to be up at two in the morning. And one of my mentors and advisors is Donna Sytek. And I would send emails, not expecting her to respond. And she would, um, you know, get that. Hoping that she's not awake. Oh, my God. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, I saw this opportunity and I attacked it like I meant it. And again, I got into my lane always the most prepared. And it started to show during debates. And people, um, I really got to know the entire district. And, you know, there was a perception that those elected on the seacoast stayed on the seacoast. Not my style. I'm all over the district. Um, Yeah, share, share with our listeners, if you will, some of the major areas, towns, cities in the district. So they get a real sense of, I mean, 260 plus thousand people, that's a lot of people. And what, what, what is the district like? So I represent 31 towns and cities. So think of east to west, the seacoast to Salem. And after I've gotten elected, you know, I've made a point to be available for select boards. And many have never had the experience of having an executive counselor. And I have a different style who has gone into these meetings, have, I've been discussing, you know, how they can access ARP funds. You know, there's about $112 million um, through local federal relief funds going out to um, non-entitled units. Those are my towns and cities. I made it a point of talking with every single municipal leaders in those towns to make certain that they were aware of the funding and that there was a critical date of August 18th. Guess what? They all hit that metric. They're all getting their funds. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. And I had one municipality that said, we don't think we um, were eligible. And I said, you are. There's three quarters of a million dollars. I drove up a couple, you know, an hour and a half away, sat down with them. And during this conversation, and as you know, as you know, Jay, everything starts with a subtle conversation. They start discussing water issues, and it turns out that the elementary school in this municipality, the kids were on bottled water because of PFAS contamination. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's my background. So I quickly got on the phone with the commissioner at DES. So, you know, the dialogue began um, to address this problem. And so I take great pride in making all of my municipal leaders, constituents aware of all of the resources that are out there. For example, right now there's $200 million um, for rental assistance. No one should be facing eviction. The funds are there. And we know that we cannot afford to have a backlog in our uh, circuit court system um, where most of these um, contentious situations will wind up. So Judge King is also getting the word out. Um, So I'm always thinking about, you know, and always advocating for my 31 towns and cities, any decision that I make, you know, this is all about D3. So I I love, I love your approach, Janet. You know, I I take a couple of um, lessons from what you've just said. Uh, one of them is, um, and this happened um, really during your campaign and even before, um, I, I love that comment that you got after the 2016 campaign about, you know, just go out there and continue doing good work. 
And you took that theme and you began even, I mean, you applied it from then on, but also just during the campaign in in 2020. um, I've always liked this idea that if you want a job, start doing the job uh, and you will get the job. And uh, and that's exactly what you were doing during the campaign. Even though you were campaigning for the office, you were acting as though and and doing the good work that a counselor would do uh, during the campaign. I, I just think that's phenomenal. And um, and the, the other thing I take away from this is that um, people who, do, who may not know the particular geography here probably wouldn't have a full appreciation for just um, how it's a very large district and there really is kind of a divide, if you will, that there's the seacoast and then more inland, there's Salem, which is it just, Salem's on Interstate 93, uh, the seacoast is more on 95, and there's kind of a, a divide between the two. And the fact that you've been able to kind of reach out and kind of unify this whole area, I think is, it actually is a pretty big deal. And so hats off to you for doing that. You know, I'm honored. And, you know, I don't define myself as a, as a politician. Um, I'm a public servant. And, you know, when our providers were being, again, denied um, full reimbursements, um, for access and, re, you know, for telehealth services. Um, one of the members of the, of the Board of Mental Health Practices said to me, your work is saving lives. And Jay, every time I hear that, um, and with greater frequency, again, when just recently behavioral health care providers were being... Um, they were seeing a huge reduction in two of their billing codes. And by 20%, they came to me. Many were contemplating just shutting down, you know, throwing in the towel. They just couldn't make a go of this profession. And the last thing we need is for behavioral health care providers to um, to shutter their businesses. So again, you Particularly know, in a pandemic. Exactly. When we know that the demand is increasing so again, went to the insurance commissioner, got on the phone call with his insurance provider, with our um, behavioral health care leadership, and guess what? They reverted back to the original um, rate. Nice. Well and, done. Yeah. So that's the work. Um, and you know what, Jay? When someone calls me um, or shoots me an email, you know, I'm in this school district and our kids can't get back. You know, I always take pride in responding. We had a conversation at 10 at night. The next day, we're all on a call with um, the education commissioner, Frank Edelblue. I love my job and people have been scared throughout this pandemic. And I think my presence in my campaigning style and the accessibility that I bring it's comforting to people. Well, it is. You know, the other thing about it that I think really is cool is that um, you, you, in this conversation, it's just so clear that you're not speaking in sort of political platitudes. You're really speaking in specific, uh, specificities that are all around detailed assignments, uh, projects, initiatives, um, achievements that have been made for constituents and for the state of New Hampshire. And that's so, I mean, that's kind of where it's at. You know, that's how you make things happen. You know, Jay, I'm not one for rhetoric. Um, 
posturing is easy. Public policy is a lot tougher. And there's just something very empowering when you know your facts and you go into a 10-year plan and you start asking about, you know, federal um, Senate bills, where does this stand with their funding? There's something very empowering, um, just knowing the facts. Um, You know, knowledge is power. And again, I'm all about public policy. I don't know the party affiliation of of a constituent when they call me, when they're desperate um, for unemployment insurance, if they've been shut out, or if they have, um, you know, been unable to access a COVID vaccine. I never know. I just respond. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't you, matter which to is me. Wonderful. No. You're, you're there to serve. Exactly. And, you know, I, you and I have discussed Ray Burton. I've been defined as the female version of Ray Burton, even within for, these. Pe- for yeah. our listeners to understand what a huge compliment that is, yeah. Ray Burton was probably, I, I think I'm right about this. You may know for fact, Ray Burton was the longest serving member of the New Hampshire Executive Council. I think in history, probably. Yes, 30, uh, 37 years. <laughs> and I think in that venue uh, was so diligent. And um, of course, he, he's the one at least who perhaps he coined that phrase of, you know, a governor only really needs to be able, have to be able to count to three. That's right. Like, get three counselors to support anything, and, but it does need to do that. Um, and if you're thought of as the, the female Ray Burton, that's a huge compliment because he really did serve and, and, and enjoyed huge public respect for all the great work that he did. Um, I'm only the fifth woman in 100 years um, plus to earn a seat at the table. My predecessor on the Republican side, Ruth Griffin, who supported me. Um, so there's only been five women who well, made it to the and, executive council. And we, and of course, we have to pay tribute to Ruth also, because Ruth, not only um, was Ray Burton a wonderful friend, but Ruth continues to be a, a great friend. Of course, Ray had passed a number of years ago, but Ruth is still strong and she's doing great things. And, and uh, she just had a birthday a little while ago, but she's in her 90s. And um, terrific, terrific woman. And, and uh, to be able to fill those shoes is, and to get her endorsement, Janet, I think is a major a vote of confidence. You know, and she is someone that I will run ideas by. And again, she was all about her constituents, protecting the public. Great respect. And, you know, she led the charge. And so, Janet, this has been a wonderful conversation. And as we as we close it out, I just wonder, as you look forward uh, over the next either couple of years or beyond, what's the most exciting thing that you hope to be involved in to try to achieve? And the excitement about the job itself, what would you like to leave us with? Enhancing the lives of my constituents in D3 and meeting the needs. And as I stated earlier, being in a position to save lives and, you know, in a macro level, making certain and can, to be able to continue doing that work of, you know, advocating for our behavioral health care providers, um, to going in to, you know, the Salem Boys and Girls Club and finding out, um, you know, they have, they have some needs and 
this is a great safety net and how can I help you? Our kids have really struggled throughout this pandemic. You know, putting it all together, but but just having the privilege, and I, I treat it as a privilege. So, you know, every day I attack. Um, and to continue doing that and to be available for my constituents. Well, I, I think that's wonderful. I mean, I, I think it, as you mentioned, it's a privilege for you to serve, but I think it's also a privilege and an honor for the people of New Hampshire to have such a, a diligent, focused um, effort on your part, your intellect, your energy around the job. It makes all the difference. We were de- delighted to have you. It's, we're so blessed to have you in the Executive Council, Janet. Well, I am honored. And, you know, there is a sense of urgency. And, you know, there's a good, you know, a good judge of character is how someone responds in a crisis. And I, I stepped up for the residents of New Hampshire. And um, I was there. Well, and we appreciate that. And, and uh, Jenna, this has been a terrific conversation. Uh, I want to thank you for joining uh, me on American Sunshine, the podcast. I uh, wish you well and uh, look forward to many, many good things in the future for you and uh, for your work in the state of New Hampshire. Well, so, Jenna, thank you very much. Thank you, Jay. And thanks for all of the positive energy, um, policy focused. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And thank you for American Sunshine. Well done, Janet. Well, you are superb. My God, the substantive quality of what you're doing just oozes through. And it's just so exciting to hear. It really, really is.